It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. And as I bring in two uh, wonderful guests today on a finally slightly drier Tuesday here in Southern California, we've been after years of a drought, we've been just bombarded by near flood-like conditions, but uh, today's a little bit drier and nicer. So let's go ahead and get to the show. You know, if this is the first time you're, you're tuning in, you may be wondering what this is all about. So let me give you a little bit of a breakdown. Um, you know, I have the have the privilege over the years of meeting so many different inspiring leaders and uh, uh, kind of experts, people who have are uh, maybe just really uniquely talented themselves. And so love to find out their secrets, love to know what they're doing and how they're doing it. And so we really built this show to allow you to listen in on our dialogue, hopefully the things we talk about, the secrets we uncover, the best practices that we kind of revolve around might be things that you can take uh, back to your own company, to your own life, uh, and really, you know, hopefully help you down the road at some point. The show is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on you know, most weeks. and But most of you really kind of come in through that uh, podcast, iTunes or iHeartRadio, or you, you can hear us there. We've amassed a really great following. Um, over 600,000 of you came in last week. That kind of seems to be our regular numbers. So that's three or four million a month. It's just really mind-boggling and phenomenal. We've uh, such a great following. I really appreciate everyone's support and you coming back, listening to shows, sharing shows, keeping the conversation going. Big thank you to everyone who's uh, doing that on a regular basis. Uh, one of our uh, really fun things is if you have a question for one of our guests, we'd love for you to to submit it on Twitter. You can uh, send it to at peopleg2 or use that hashtag talent talk. My producer, Mike, he watches that during the show. We also kind of monitor it afterwards. It's, Again, since most of you are coming in kind of after the live show, you can still send that question after the fact. And I'm sure the guests and I and I will be happy to to kind of keep the conversation going there on Twitter. So I've said the word guests a few times. Maybe you want to know who's going to be on with me today. My two guests will be uh, first uh, Phoebe uh, Kong Chua. She's a brand journalist and marketing executive with the Brand Journalism, journalism Advantage. I think we'll probably talk about it, but I was on her show that she does as well. Uh, it's a really great one. And then we we'll also have Abby Fleming in the second half of the show. She's the engagement director for the Jacobson Group. So uh, looking forward to her. But uh, let's go ahead and, and jump in with Phoebe. Uh, welcome to the show. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Like I said, we're finally a little bit dry, and I know you're you're local as well, so you may have been dealing with the incredible weather we've been having lately. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was wondering if we were going to need to start building an ark, right? <laughs> wondering when it would ever let up. When but, it ever uh, let up, I'm we've had window. everything. Yeah. So, Beautiful um, now. It, Mother Nature almost beat me, but we finally kept the water out of the house. It was it was getting a little uh, a little dicey there for a minute. But let's go ahead oh, and let's wow. talk about you, and um, you know, maybe tell everyone a little bit about you, your past, and what you're doing with uh, the brand journalism advantage. Sure. So I'm a local to San Diego. In fact, I am a native, if you can believe that, with all of uh, the transplants that we have here. There aren't too many of us, but uh, I grew up in the Claremont area in San Diego, and I wanted to be a TV news journalist. So this is back in the day when the media were the only people who, you know, actually the media stations, the only ones who actually got to broadcast live, unlike today, and I think we're going to get into that and talk about how brands can capitalize on broadcasting live today, much like you're doing, Chris. 
But I got my start um, in TV and in radio. I worked for um, the KPBS station out here, and I worked for CBS and NBC. And I spent most of my time with 10 News, which is the ABC station out here in San Diego. Um, this really paved the way for what I'm doing today. The, the long and short of it is this. I really loved to tell stories, and I loved to see the stories up close and up personal. And the only way to do that was to become that TV news reporter. So I focused on that. That started my journey. I spent about 15 or so years in what you might think of as traditional TV journalism, storytelling, news reports, a lot on the bad stuff. And then I started moving into the branding and the marketing aspect of it, um, where we were literally creating events for the community. So a lot of this, if you're a brand or a corporation listening, you might be doing this today much in the way I was doing it a good 10 or 12 years ago for Channel 10 News at the time. And that uh, paved the way for me to do what I'm doing today. Today I'm a podcaster. I'm a brand consultant and brand marketer. So that means that I bring that skill set of traditional journalism, storytelling, marketing, and consulting into your brand. And then I help you craft powerful stories to reach your core audience and to connect with consumers. And that's that's going to be a theme throughout this, really figuring out a way to connect with consumers and then attract and convert those leads. So we do that all today through the power of storytelling, um, in particular journalistic storytelling. Well, and I remember seeing you on TV. Um, I don't know if they ever did anything where they would rebroadcast something from there up here uh, where I'm at in Orange County in L.A., or maybe I just saw it when I was you know, visiting family or, or down that way, catch you. But I do remember when I was on your show and then kind of going back and seeing some of your old clips, um, I went, oh, wait a minute, I, I remember seeing you on TV. So uh, certainly was something that you uh, did a good job with, and probably a lot of people will remember seeing you if they were ever in the area or lived in the area uh, and would kind of remember some of your, your, your early work for sure. Oh, sure. You know, well, they uh, they tease me a lot because, uh, you know, at that time, getting a name like Chung Chua remembered was was a challenge in and of itself because it was so unusual. So, um, you know, I really had to work hard at it, but it, it falls in line with what people have to do today to make their brands remembered. And that's why I saw this big need to bring what the news was doing into the corporate world to help them understand how they're very much aligned. And, you know, I often refer to a formula of EC equals MC, every company equals a media company. Now, that's in theory what can happen today, but often that's not being practiced. In other words, there's this great opportunity, but a lot of people aren't doing what you're doing, which is a podcast, getting your story out there, connecting with other people. And that actually creates this huge, you know, opportunity for you to, uh, you know, meet other people, convert leads, and get people interested in what you're doing. So have you seen a, a, a big shift then on really what's kind of helping companies draw more people in or from a branding standpoint? You know, I mean, you, over your time from where you started, to, let's maybe kind of categorize it over the last 10 years. What are you sort of seeing as a difference in how we reach consumers we reach those people we want to talk to well i think you know i'm going to throw this out there right at the start facebook right we're seeing such a massive audience to facebook and this you know if you go back those 10 years right when it first was born and you look at it and you think what people thought of it at that time that it was merely some little social media flash in the pan and it was going to go away and regardless of whether facebook is that presence and that platform a good 10 years out, it is currently the opportunity to, when I keep using this term, broadcast live to do these live shots, you know, the kind of live shots that I was on that you could only do with a big ENG truck, you can now do using your smartphone. Um, in fact, I teach a course on iPhone storytelling about how you can tell those stories and you can broadcast live or you can create, you know, um, productions that can later be you know, manipulated a little bit so that you have, you know, add in the capabilities of post-production and make a killer piece that's going to really connect with your core audience. So 10 years ago, you didn't really have that opportunity. It was very hard to tell your story. You had to really try 
track down those reporters and get them interested. Now, there's still a lot of value, Chris, in that. You know, there's a lot of value in in partnering and collaborating with large organizations. In fact, I had um, on the Brand Journalism Advantage podcast alongside yours, I had um, the editor of Entrepreneur.com. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating the stories that can be told and the ability to tell those stories through traditional media. But sometimes you can't get to traditional media in the way you want. And this is where brand journalism comes into play. Telling your story first sometimes opens the eyes to traditional media. So when I was that TV journalist, a lot of times what people would do is they would go about it the only way they knew how. They would send a press release. And usually the press release, quite frankly, sucked. It wasn't interesting. It was very transparent that all they wanted was free advertising. They didn't try to connect with the bigger picture or connect with the trending story, what I like to call piggyback journalism. When you connect with something that's already trending or something that's happening, you're able to draw in the news media and get them interested. But if you can first tell that in your own platform, you know, using your Facebook Lives, using your Twitter streams, I mean, think about where the world is today. We're watching, you know, our presidential debates and inaugurations and all all of this on Twitter online. So the world has changed so much and put so much power into the hand of corporations to tell their own story. And the downside of that, as I'm sure, you know, all of you listening can think about is what? Fake news, right? You know, these these sites that are popping up from people trying to make a buck and they really are making, you know, a, a pretty penny there in doing this. But I think this is an opportunity for brands to come together to recognize that they have to be transparent in what they're doing. They have to be ethical, like a journalist should be. And they need to tell stories that are powerful, that will connect with their core audiences in ways that help them actually convert into leads and grow that audience. Well, what I, what I really heard in kind of what you were saying there was quality. Um, you know, the, the sort of technical components that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it wasn't easy for someone to go and broadcast a story like you, you said you were doing uh, in your early days uh, in, in San Diego. Um, and so that sort of hurdle has been removed by us having iPhones and smartphones and all these different um, different things. But what you still have to have is a valuable story because I have seen a whole lot of Facebook Live posts that my friends start that are complete, for lack of a better word, crap. I mean, they're just not talking about anything. They're just (laughs) mumbling on and on, and they find it interesting that they're on. But, you know, they're not showing me their band. They're not talking about something that's passionate. They're not sharing their art. They're not doing something that I might actually want to watch. So that quality is still really important. Uh, If I'm kind of paraphrasing what you were saying, that finding something that an audience cares about, wants to think about, wants to watch, and then... And then the secondary part is, is then how do you turn some of those people maybe into clients? Is that is that right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and even if you're not turning them into clients, you're turning them into an audience that's receiving from you, and they may know someone else who will eventually become a client, or you know maybe they're just not ready for what you have right now. But eventually, you are follow you you're through putting out quality content answering questions, connecting with your core audience, you're developing your own brand, your own media entity. So that's where that EC equals MC comes in. Every company equals a media company. You no longer have to rent your audience because you are the media. And what you're putting out needs to be quality. It needs to be transparent. It needs to be ethical. And it needs to not waste people's time. I think, you know... we're saying the same thing here with that quality, but a lot of times you do see a lot of brands and just people messing around, wasting people's time. Well, it, it, it depends on, you know, what they're doing. If they're just getting together with some friends, that's one thing. But when a brand wastes people's time, that is such a devastating mistake because it's very hard to gain back that following. If I tune in and you've wasted my time, it's unlikely that I'll give you another chance. You know, I'm usually gone because I didn't get out of it what I need. So what I always tell uh, 
you know, people when they want to think about going live is map this out. When I would do a live shot in TV, I didn't just grab the microphone and the ENG puts up the satellite and we connect and they throw the story up. There was a whole day's worth of research for that day for me to turn that story for the 5 o'clock news. That needs to be happening now with Facebook Lives, with Twitter Lives. Even when you're not going live and you're recording something that you're going to air later, you've got to put that research into it so you know what your audience needs and then make sure you're presenting that and bringing them value. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we can forgive our friends for maybe putting up something that's not valuable if it's just something interesting to them or they're just goofing around. But you make a great point that brands, companies don't probably get that luxury from the average person that if they're going to put up content that isn't valuable, then you're just not going to pay attention to them anymore or you're going to unfollow them or ignore them. Um, So maybe companies and brands have a different level of responsibility or uh, need to take a bit more care if they really want those, uh, you know, their audience, I guess, to stay engaged and to share and to keep, you know, coming back, right? Oh, absolutely. And the other thing that brands need to do is they need to create, you know, emotional impact. If you think about stories like, you know, you asked me a question about where it was 10 years back or so, think about when the internet, going even further back, when the internet was born. Urban legends became um, quickly a thing, right, in people's email because they were stories. But what was at the heart of that story? Usually fear. I bet everybody listening can think about one crazy email they've received that was an urban legend. And then, you know, chances are somebody's grandmother today might share that thinking that it's still true. So what a brand needs to do is recognize there needs to be emotion behind it and that's why the greatest of stories have some level of connection at an emotional impact you see it in the news um you know in ways that uh make you feel something but here's something that isn't often chris talked about and that's the danger of a story so Sometimes brands think, well, I want to create this emotional story. And if I tell this emotional story, I bring a tear to someone's eye. I make them laugh their heads off. You know, I make them angry. Then what? Right? What will happen next? And they think, well, then I'll have that viral video that everybody wants. But the danger of a story, when you seek to just create emotion without a real connection to your audience about where you want them to go, that call to action, what you want them to do, and making it simplistic enough for them to do it is that sometimes nothing happens. So you think about a Sunday sermon or you think about a documentary maybe about children in a third world country and something horrific happening to them. A lot of times, both of those instances, nothing happens beyond that unless there is a movement. And so this is where I really encourage brands to go beyond the story, go beyond just telling a video story and create a movement that goes hand in hand. Walk them down the path, your consumers, your core audience. What is next? If you are supporting a cause, maybe you create some sort of a resource festival that they can come out to your organization, to your facility, and they can learn more. That's what I did for 10 News when I crafted 10 Leadership Day. It was a very large resource festival that attracted about 20,000 people, and it highlighted brands and nonprofits. So we told stories about things that were going wrong in the community and then how our audience, how our viewers could come in and get involved and help write that path. For these people. That's when a brand is marrying it together at a high level of bringing journalistic brand journalism storytelling and marketing together, as well as being that leader in the community. That's all great stuff, and I'm sure that uh, people would want to know more. I know that you have uh, written a book titled No Worries Five Steps to Peace, Even in Chaos. So maybe can you talk a little bit about? What you hope people would get out of that book if they're interested in checking oh, it out? Oh, absolutely. And this is a book that I'm telling you i got to read every day because there's a whole lot of chaos these days. And, I, you know, when I wrote the book, the book's written um, several years ago, but it stands true today. 
the, the nuts and bolts of it are this. Because I am a journalist, I like to get things quickly and have a plan. So I created a five-step plan to peace. And this is um, alongside what I'll call 14 worryless living mantras. So each chapter has a mantra, you know, an affirmation that really helps you work through a challenge in your life to create greater peace, success, and prosperity. But at the heart of it is finding a way to have that calm, cool, and collected ability to think straight, even when there are challenges and difficulties. Because if you can't do this, your life becomes very chaotic, as is the world, with so many different sources now and so much bombardment of messages. It's very difficult to think things through. Now, where this helps at a personal level, I think, is quite obvious. At a professional level for companies and brands, it helps them to remember to stay the path. Because one thing that I see consistently is brands can flip-flop around quite a bit. They're on one project, and then before that project has even had a chance to shake take shape or prove itself, they're on to another project. That's the chaos in their world speaking. Them thinking, I've got to do this or I've got to move into something else that's going to bring the dollars in without really staying connected to what is your passion? Why did you even invent the product, the service? Why did you form your company? And who do you really want to help? It takes time to deliver on all of those things, and that's part of keeping that peace and calmness in you so that you can see clearly and not just jump ship when you think something is failing. So um, the book is a combination of creating that peace and calmness in yourself, but also within your business. Well, it sounds fantastic, and I'm sure our listeners would love to check it out. Um, uh, when you're not uh, doing all the things that you're doing and writing books, is, do you, I'm kind of guessing you might enjoy reading a book. Do you have any suggestions of a great book that our uh, listeners might want to check out? Oh, you know what? I am always reading. Um, Audible.com, one of my favorite sources because I'm on the road a lot, and so listening you know, to it is just as good to me. Um, so I'm reading actually Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, um, and I think it, his name is Joe Dispenza. Uh, and pretty much what this is, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with what I just talked about with my book. So it's an exploration of the way the brain works. You know, being a journalist, I really look at the facts and I like to understand the mechanics of something, not just say, hey, let's do positive affirmations because it's going to change your outer world. This is about how to literally stop some of those bad habits that you might have. Um, this could be anything. It could be eating. It could be not making it to the gym. Um, it could be that worrisome talk like I talk about in uh, my book. And then it's how you can transform your life and why it works. And, and for me, that's really important. Some people just like the stuff that, that takes them through the process of think like this and this will help you. I really like to understand the why behind it. And this book really goes into that. Um, I tell you that he does reference um, the book a lot and diagrams, so if you get the audible version of it, you might be a little frustrated because you can't see those diagrams. You'll have to go back and buy the book, but it's well worth putting it in your library. Well, it sounds like another great one to check out, and I appreciate you kind of mentioning those to us. Um, we're, we're just by here at the end. I want to make sure that we uh, allow you to let people know how they can get a hold of you. What's the best way for them to, to find out more about Brand Journalism Advantage or to, to read more about you? To, is there a website? Or what's the best way for them to check you out? So the easiest way is to head over to my website. Very simple. Thinklikeajournalist.com. When you get there, um, what will pop up if you're a first-time visitor is the ability to download and sign up for my newsletter. You'll be able to download my three-part storytelling series. And... Um, That'll walk you through creating your own powerful brand story. You can also tune into the podcast, The Brand Journalism Advantage, there or in iTunes. And, Chris, i got to point out that your episode, which we talked about um, on virtual workforces, is episode 338. We're now at almost 370 episodes. But uh, you can check out Chris's. His is episode 338. And then if you want some quick examples of what is brand journalism, what is journalistic storytelling, how do you do it for a corporation, head over to PCIN. 
PCIN.TV. That's PCIN.TV. Um, if you Google my name, I'm at Phoebe Changchua, just about everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and over at LinkedIn. So that's a little bit about how to find me, and it'll give you some examples of what I'm talking about. And in case anyone else, you know, might not know exactly how to spell her name, uh, Phoebe is with a P-H, O-E-B-E, and then her last name is uh, C-H-O-N-G and then C-H-U-A, all one word there, um, in case you're, you know, name challenged like I am, which you wouldn't think someone on who hosts <laughs> yes. a podcast could screw up so many names, but I do. It's really my oh. calling. Um, and you but, know what, Chris, here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. If... If you just get partway through it, I'm pretty searchable on the web, so Google will help <laughs> <right>. you out. <laughs> that is true. You put in just a little bit and it comes up. So I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, hopefully we have you come back at some point, give us an update. And, uh, again, I really enjoyed being on your show as well. So uh, thanks for coming back and uh, helping us out over here. My pleasure. Great show. Love what you're doing. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. And my second guest, Abby Fleming. <laughs> Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Up next, we'll have uh, Abby Fleming, the Engagement Director of uh, the Jacobson Group. Don't forget, you can send her a question or interact with anyone else you've heard on the shows by uh, putting in that question or comment at PeopleG2 on Twitter Include that hashtag talent talk, all one word. We'll make sure we find it, we interact, we talk, we discuss, we debate, whatever it may be. I'd uh, love to do that. Keep the conversation going on Twitter. Um, we also live stream. I don't know if anyone realized this is or not, but we actually live stream some of the best quotes and the best little tidbits uh, as the show is going live. So you can always get, uh, you know, kind of keep the watch the conversation as it's going along there. So, all right, let's go ahead and uh, jump in with Abby. Um, Abby, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, so uh, why don't you take a little bit of time here, talk a little bit about yourself and, of course, about your role as an engagement director and, of course, you know, importantly, what does the Jacobson Group do as well? Give us the kind of the what we need to know about you and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I work for um, a, an executive search and staffing firm called the Jacobson Group. We have been in the business for over 40 years, and we provide uh, talent solutions exclusively for the insurance industry. So I, I specifically work in the executive search arm of the business, but we provide all different types of talent solutions for the insurance industry and work with all different kinds of insurance groups across property and casualty and health and life insurance. My role specifically, I am an engagement director in the executive search area, so I work with clients who are looking to hire uh, senior level executives, so 
uh, generally vice president and above level roles um, for their organization. So I work closely with the clients to manage um, them on the search. I work closely with a team internally here, a recruiting team, uh, to drive the search forward. And I work um, with the candidates, really, to evaluate and recommend them. So my role is, is in that, is in the executive search space. But again, we offer all different levels. Well, it sounds really interesting. Um, I know one of the areas of expertise is this organizational change management. So mm -hmm. maybe how painful and difficult can organizational change be? And maybe kind of as a secondary, how do you get organizations to kind of go through that, uh, you know, when you, at any particular time? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think everybody's kind of asking that question today because, you know, while there's different scales and degrees of change uh, that impact an organization, I mean, the truth is I believe organizations are changing all the time. And so, you know, with the pace of business today that's pretty fast, um, there's kind of this pressure to always stay ahead of the curve and be proactive and anticipating change or responding to disruption in a way that, you know, is advantageous to your business but still allows you to make forward progress. And I think what people have to remember is that it, the challenge isn't in the actual change itself, the change event, it's in the transition. And it's being able to continue to advance your business without losing your assets, which are your people, right? So there's a lot of emotional and psychological processes that people go through as they internalize and come to terms with all these events that are taking place. And it could be as big as a, a merger or it can be a reorg internally. Um, but, you know, people tend to respond and react differently. And so there's there's some certain practices that I think people need to, that leadership needs to um have, you know, in the forefront of their mind as they go through change, whether it's big or small. I think that the first one, and this could be completely obvious, but communication is critical. You know, com employee communication is always necessary, but I think when you're going through a major change, an organizational change, um, it's easy and common for people to draw false conclusions and disengage from their work or create misconceptions about what's going to happen to their job or their team or the company. So broadening those uh, communication channels is really, really important. Um, yeah. And, you know, making sure people are informed about what's going on and involving them in the process is also important. Yeah, communicate, communicate, communicate. And can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked to companies and they're having trouble with a particular change. And it's first question I'll ask is, as well, how many times have you communicated? Well, you know, we had a meeting or we sent out an email. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like you needed to probably have sent 10 emails, had three meetings, done a few text messages, um, had an open forum. I mean, you know, something uh, where people can have different opportunities, different chances uh, to really digest it, talk about it. And to your point, have an opportunity to be a part of it, right? Exactly. Um, if you just create the whole thing from A to Z and then you expect people to just go, you're not going to be as successful as if maybe you create A to M and then let them do N through Z and let them feel like they're a part of it, even if it exactly. ch changes it a little bit. Uh, but as long as you get where you wanted to go, it, it, it certainly seems like the better way to go from where I'm sitting. Yeah, and that's a good point because, I mean, I think some people think, well, you know, the, the C-suite or the senior executives that have all the answers right up front, and they might not. I mean, they, it, you know, sometimes these things happen in iterative stages. And so the more you can say, look, I don't, you know, we're going to take this a chunk at a time, and this is our short-term plan, this is our long-term goal, I think it's it's a little bit more well received, and people, you know, you have you have to be firm to the change, but and, and committed, but you also have to remain flexible. And so, I think people need to realize that, especially for those massive changes that organizations go through that impact so many people, and there's all these different factors flown in there. And I, I, you know, you have to look at it like it's kind of a staged process. But communication along the way and involving employees is really important. Now, I know you have had some experience in different roles throughout your career, really, in and around developing um, engagement initiatives, you know, especially for employee yeah. engagement. So have you found that to be, you know, for your own skill set and your own kind of energy around it to be an easy thing to do? Or have you found some challenges in trying to find the right fit for that company at that time? 
Um, well, I'm a big fan of employee engagement activities. I think that they are an integral part of um, an organization's culture and um, and really their strategy. Um, my experience has been, um, I mean, they can be challenging, but I think there's, there's a certain approach to them. Um, there's lots of creative and, and effective activities that can support an engaged workforce, but I think the key is a couple things. One, you have to really determine what your end goal is and what the what the gap is. And so before you have to identify that first. And surveys are a great way to do that. And they don't have to be fancy or expensive or elaborate. I've worked on a different uh, different variations of these. Um, but gathering that feedback of what are your employees looking for is really the first step. And then then you can work to create activities and programs that will respond to that and involve employees and really help the, help you address that. But the second key thing, and this is where I think some companies struggle, is they don't they don't follow through. So there's all this energy that is wrapped around it at the front end. They go do a survey, they get, you know, really good feedback. They analyze the feedback. They put together some ideas about programs. And then, you know, months later, maybe they've implemented it, like, partway. But it's not, there's not a lot of follow-up or com- sort of completed talk around it. And so you have to look at it like a process. So you, you identify the right metric first and what you're going to do. And then you have to continue and kind of keep at it. Otherwise, when you do it again, Employees are probably—I mean—they're just not going to take you as seriously, and you kind of—you lose that credibility and value. So that part can be a challenge, but I, overall, I mean, they're very valuable. Now, you kind of started to mention about um, kind of starting that process off by having a survey to see what employees want. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there ever any danger? Do you see situations where what they want isn't really what they? should want (laughs) or maybe what they should actually be thinking about i mean sometimes we just sometimes employees don't know what they don't know um you know they don't um so is it is it you know trying to get a sense of what they want and then is it up to management to kind of fill in the gaps or figure out um with some planning where they where they probably should be headed yeah, I mean, that's a great question, and um, and I, I don't know if I have the complete right answer for that, but I do think that sometimes, you know, some people might want what's not possible, or maybe they don't know exactly what they want. So I think it's up to a competent, you know, HR staff and, and talent kind of leadership, as well as even, you know, the direct um, managers of, of everyone to try and put context around you know what are the responses of these employees, and what's what are we really missing? I think you can easily look at trends and themes that come out of surveys, but you're right. I mean, sometimes you know you can't, you might not be able to do everything for everyone and have the have the right answer for everybody. But in general, things like money or camaraderie or performance or workplace environment or recognition, those are some typical engagement drivers out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, probably it's a good mix. I mean, I've, I've seen employee surveys where, you know, you ask people what they want, and I want a popcorn machine, or I want, you know, there's some some pretty easy things that are tactically pretty simple to put in place and yet really aren't going to drive you true engagement or help your company, you know, in the long term. So, you know, is it do we want education? Do we want um, ways to... Um, advance in the company? Do we want recognition? You know, what are some of those larger, bigger terms? So I think you bring yeah, up a good point of trying to figure that out with what they really do want, but making sure that they're that they're focused and looking at it from the long term and the as well as the company's perspective, too. Um, right. It's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, that, you know, the example you gave of a popcorn machine, I mean, some people 
people, I mean, I, I've seen that in surveys where some people say, can we have some um, a popcorn machine or healthier fruit or healthier snacks or whatnot? And sometimes I'm like, really? You know? But, I mean, sometimes sometimes it just takes something like that to make someone a little bit more happy in their work day. So, you know, you, you have to listen to it all, but you're right. You have to the, – it's got to tie back to the business itself and what they're trying to do and the kind of workforce they're trying to create and, and retain, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know with today's work environment, the younger generations are looking for something more fluid and flexible and maybe a traditional workplace provides. This has been a topic and, you know, really – companies and HR, and it's been in the news for quite a while, but it kind of feels like it's hit this point where there's a certain group of companies that will do it and talk about it, and there's still a large group that haven't quite let the, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, unbuckle their belt a little bit to allow some of that to go on. Do you think this has a, an overall impact on, on recruiting and engagement and the different things that your company's involved in? Yeah, I do, Chris. I think it has a really, really big impact. I mean, I actually see it directly in my own organization here at Jacobson. Um, we have um, implemented a number of um, new activities, even just in our firm, over the course of the last year that have supported a much more flexible work arrangement, um, and it's being very well received. So I think um, I do think, in general, it has an impact on recruiting. I would say... If a company has adopted some degree of a flexible work arrangement, um, they really should be at a disadvantage, I'm sorry, at an advantage um, in attracting the best talent. Um, on the other hand, you know, there are still some companies out there that are, um, you know, they, they don't adopt that. And, um, you know, I think that's a unique situation. They even, they either have a very successful um, defined culture as it is, you know, where they are with their work, with their work schedule. Um, but in general, I think that people, I mean, there's been a lot of studies done that show that people are more loyal and committed and more engaged when they have that flexible work environment. And so, I, but that's also going to give employers more access, better access to top talent versus sacrificing, you know, talent attraction and retention and engagement to just people who can be in an office Monday through Friday. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, how far do we take it? Is it today, is it having a flexible work environment? Is that, we're just really going to keep people happy and engaged? Or um, is it that it's, um, you know, more virtual, um, where they don't have to come into a place? Or where do you kind of see, what, what, what's the most important component of that overall flexibility um, that, that should be most important for those, your, your next employees, your younger employees? Where, where do you see that really sitting? Well, I think I think probably if I had to pinpoint, I'd say productivity and engagement are the top two things to make sure that you don't fall off of when you, you know, as you push the envelope there with the flexible work environment. You don't want you don't want to go too far and be so loosey-goosey in the in the flexibility that your your productivity and your business results are impacted uh, negatively. So that's not good. You also don't want to go too far then where you lose engagement and, and connection and, a, and kind of a, that feeling of camaraderie that you want to still have um, with people who are working 100% remote. So there's a balance. You know, uh, I'll just use our company as an example. I mean, we have kind of um, taken this in a phased approach with, you know, some people um, really being documenting how many days they're going to work from home and what their schedule is. It's very transparent to their supervisor and to their peers. So I think it's important to keep the communication up, but, you know, it, it depends on the company also. I mean, you know, a, a, a large company, um, they may have to – I think it depends on the company and the role um, because many roles require you to be, you know, much more um, visible and in, in person working with your with your stakeholders. So it's probably up to the discretion um, of the company, but I, I do think that – in general, I think companies have to start thinking about this. There's so many different technology channels that you can use to maintain connection um, virtually and, you know, still conduct effective meetings and communicate with people. So it's really becoming much more the norm versus not. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't put these types of things in place without having a measurement component as well. I mean, right. so you can be flexible with your work, uh, with what you require from a you know, work workplace standpoint. But if you don't have a clear uh, idea of what defines that person as a successful in their in their role, and this is true whether they are coming into a firm and sitting at a desk in a cubicle, or whether they're sitting at home or at a Starbucks or whatever it may be, if there's not a clear measurement then, yeah, of course, you're going to start to have problems. I think you're going to have problems whether it's a flexible work environment or not. Um, right. But we, I do see that people, sometimes people will just send them off on their own, and then they don't have that clear understanding of what, what makes your role here a success. Um, and if, usually people know that. They, they get it done. I mean, you have those bad apples, but for, for the most part, I find that if it's fairly well-defined and clear, people know exactly what, what's expected and where to go and how to, ha- how to head into that. Yeah, for the um, most, I mean, I agree with you. The most part, people, I mean, people can be trusted. I mean, maybe the trust has to be built. But I think, I mean, I've read a lot of articles that actually show that people work longer hours and and actually show a little bit more commitment and loyalty to the company when they have that flexibility. So, um, you know, so it's, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it, um, you know, kind of permeates more companies and what kind of changes they need to go through. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're you're totally right. So, uh, I know we're we're getting uh, close here to the end. I want to make sure we ask some of our favorite questions. Um, and that is, is there a book that you're reading right now, or maybe you read recently that you might share with us? Um, so, I'm actually uh, reading a book now called Settle for More. It's by Megan Kelly. She's um, she's a news analyst. Well, she's she was on Fox. She left Fox. Um, so I'm early into it, but I've been kind of a fan of hers and um, interested in politics. And I know it's a, um, obviously a very hot topic right now, given the events of the over the um, past weekend. So, um, but yeah, I think that her book is interesting and it gets, will give me a view, a little bit better view into her personally. But um, so that's kind of what I'm reading right now. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting book. It is an interesting um, uh, kind of side story as well that she's left Fox, and I think it's gone to NBC. So NBC um, and has yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with her and how that might change. Yeah, we'll um, see. yeah. She's and and she's an interesting one. So <laughs> I think yes, that book might yes. be fascinating considering all the politics and things that are happening right now. It sounds like an interesting book. Yeah, um, it is. you know, other other any sort of exercises or maybe specific. Kind of tactical things that you do from an employee engagement side, or that you maybe suggest to companies that you have found to be useful, that maybe someone could go back and think about or try um, if they're listening. Um, sure. So um, let's see. One of the ones that I worked on, and, and this came directly from a, a survey and feedback, and responding to that feedback was a stronger executive communication program. And so this was not here at Jacobson, but my former employer. Um, I worked on leading this program, and this was really developed after there was um, quite a bit of um request for more communication around and understanding um, around the company message and what are all these different business units doing. And this, I mean, this worked well in a, in a very large, you know, um, very large global company. Um, and, and other organizations probably do something similar. But, um, you know, what we did was we created a consistent company message that all the executives, um, you know, were aligned on, and then we made basically... We created sort of local in-person um, uh, uh, forums for that executive to share that at that local office and then also then layer on top of that his or her perspective in how their business unit aligns to that. So it was very well received, um, and this was something we did in um, executive communications when I was at Allscripts. And, um, so that was one thing. Another idea that... Um, that I've worked on is around aligning objectives, and um, this might be relevant, especially since we're at the beginning of a, of a year, if people follow, assuming people companies follow the calendar year, but um, sometimes it's challenging for everybody to understand how their role fits into the bigger picture. You know, what is my job? What does it have to do with the vision of this company? And so... Uh, what I'm speaking about is an objective alignment exercise where 
it's kind of a, it's a top-down exercise, but then you kind of roll it back up from bottom up. And the idea is to document and share every person's role and responsibility and how it supports and rolls up to the company's strategic goals. So it, it's really neat. It can be also integrated into the performance management process, but it gives people clarity and understanding of, you know, here's the bigger picture of our company, and here's my role, and then here's my manager's position and what he's responsible for, and then, you know, a level up from that. So it's really supposed to be, you know, aligning objectives all the way from bottom to top and top to bottom. Well, it sounds like some great uh, ideas, and you've given us a lot to think about uh, from the engagement uh, side, uh, from d- different books to think about. Um, you know, I- I'm wondering, are, are you kind of seeing uh, uh, maybe a particular direction? Or are you thinking that engagement might uh, start to kind of maybe morph into one direction or another over the next couple of years? I mean, we have, we've had so much influence with technology, and now we're allowing for more remote work. Are you kind of seeing anything that you think might start influencing that uh, in the years to come? Well, I, I think there's an emphasis on it now. I think it's going to continue to be um, an important part of a company's um, of a company's you know organizational strategy. I mean, with so much. You know, at least from my perspective in the insurance industry, there's a lot of consolidation happening with insurers. There's a lot of mergers, and there's just there's just a lot of change going on. So if you can't, you have to through that change, you have to maintain um, engagement with your employees. Otherwise, you know they're going to be taking calls from me to move. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> so they need you know they need to. I think companies need to have a pulse on it, and so. Um, you know, whether that's through different, you know, surveys or activities or through, you know, um, career development discussions or whatever. But I, I do think it's going to become even more important through, like you said, the technology changes that are happening, welcoming a new generation into the workforce and, and managing that, and then people retiring, um, and then companies, you know, merging and consolidating. So I think it's absolutely um a topic that needs to always be part of the discussion. Well, uh, big important question. How can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more and maybe possibly work with uh, the Jacobson Group? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my uh, contact information is on my LinkedIn profile. So if anybody's on LinkedIn, they can look there. But um, my email is afleming at jacobsononline.com or I'm happy to give my phone number. I don't know if that is um, appropriate or not. but Sure, go ahead. My, yeah, okay. It's 312-884-0429. And I'm in Chicago, but I travel a lot, so I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happy to speak with anyone at any time. Fantastic. Sounds like uh, if anyone's interested, they should check out the Jacobson Group. Uh, otherwise, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate your, your thoughts today on everything from recruitment to engagement and uh, your book suggestions and ideas. So hopefully we can have you come back at some point, give us an update on what you're doing and, uh, you know, kind of what you're, you're focused on. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. All right. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Also for uh, Phoebe uh, Kong Chua. Uh, or maybe it's Choa. I probably have messed it up a few times. So uh, next week, if, see if I can uh, not mess up these names. I probably will. But my, uh, next week, my guests will include uh, Jack Mancini and Adam uh, Sonhalter of Maximum Value Partners. It looks like we maybe have them all at the same time, which will be a little different uh, change of pace for us. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. <music> You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.